In his letter to the Romans in chapter 5, in verse 6, Paul writes the following. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since then, we've now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This morning, let's stand together with our hearts open, our minds engaged. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this moment. Thank you that we can be together. We offer you thanksgiving and praise today. And now, uh, as we come to your word, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for how your word speaks to us and instructs us. And, and now we come to, to share your word. And I pray for help as I preach. And I pray your spirit to uh, help us to listen. And um, may your spirit use, your, use the word again to transform us more into the image of Jesus. And we give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. It's good to be with you. Some of you have turkey on your mind, maybe. And uh, it's, it's, good, uh, it's a good weekend to share uh, together and reflect upon all the good things the Lord has done and is doing. Just a, a couple of things before I, uh, we look to, look to the Word. Um, you know, when we, when we gather on uh, Sunday mornings, um, we, we, we want to experience God, and, and um, one of the ways we want to do that is by offering those who may come here on a Sunday morning and may come uh, with a particular need or um, some sort of request to offer prayer. And uh, we want to be able to pray with and for people who, who come here on a Sunday morning. And so you may uh, notice that at the end of uh, services, most Sunday mornings, there will be some, some people who will be uh, gathered here at uh, different places along the front. There will usually be someone in the, in the balcony, and I think uh, Michael will be there after the service this morning up in the balcony. I'll be here. And so uh, a- after we pray together and at the end of the service, if there are those who would like to be prayed for, receive prayer, there's something that, uh, you know, you've come that's upon your heart, you'd like for someone to pray with you, uh, just come and, and find one of us. We'll be positioned here around the front. Most people will have a, a lanyard there to identify that they're there to available to pray with and for you. 
and uh, there'll be someone in the balcony in case you don't want to make all that long trek down here to uh, the front, all right? So just want to make you aware of that. Uh, and uh, so that you're, you understand uh, what's happening there. Uh, as well, related to prayer, uh, in a couple of Wednesdays, Wednesdays uh, on the October the 23rd, uh, I'm, in, I'm inviting everyone to gather here uh, in this space for uh, an all-church prayer meeting. And, uh, you know, I, I appreciate uh, the prayer that happens every week through our growth group ministry, uh, through the group that meets here on, on Wednesday nights, and there are other times of prayer that happens. But uh, from time to time, I, I just really think it's important for us as, as a body to gather together for prayer. And uh, we, have a, we have a lot of things to pray about. We, we have a lot of things that we need to seek God's wisdom about. There are a lot of important uh, decisions uh, that have to be made and need to be made as, as we move forward as a church. And, um, and we want to do that, uh, acknowledging the Lord's leadership, seeking the Lord's leadership. And so I would invite you to join me here uh, on October the 23rd at 7 o'clock for, for uh, an all-church uh, prayer meeting on that evening. All right. Let's, uh, let's get to the Word. Again, happy Thanksgiving. This is, uh, this is a bit of a different Thanksgiving for us. Uh, I suppose the first Thanksgiving in a lot of years where we haven't been on the rock. But, uh, but we, are, we are thankful for God's work and God's uh, leadership and for open doors and for new seasons and new opportunities. And so we're grateful to, to God for his goodness in our own lives that is totally undeserved, and it's all by God's grace. It's been suggested that there is this beautiful connection between this season of Thanksgiving and the brilliant scenery of the fall season. You know, it's as if nature is reminding us that there is new vigor and color with which we may experience the world. We, uh, we were, went for a, um, I don't know if it's a hike is the right word, a walk over around Sherman Falls uh, yesterday afternoon and uh, just, just magnificent scenery and, and a, a beautiful walk just um, reflecting upon the goodness of God in, in creation. And Thanksgiving weekend, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Thanksgiving weekend serves as a needed reminder, I think, that living as people of God means reflecting this, this attitude of thankfulness, this attitude of gratitude. Thankfulness truly is a posture, a habit of the heart. Um, Alexander White, uh, the famous Scottish preacher of the 19th century, invariably would begin his public prayers with an expression of gratitude. And on one cold and rainy, dreary day, the people wondered how he would ever be grateful for the weather. And he began by saying, we thank thee, O Lord, that it is not always like this. Throughout the, scriptures, throughout the scriptures, we're invited into this posture of thanksgiving. Or as, as N.T. Wright says, thanks living. 
But, but this doesn't mean that we are aloof to just how difficult life can be. Because there are seasons in our lives when it's tough to muster up anything that resembles thanksgiving. And so this morning, I want to draw you into a passage that holds together this tension of, of thankfulness while also feeling like you're being squeezed by life. And so we're turning, if you have your Bibles, open up your Bible app to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Trust you have a Bible with, the, with you there or a, a device that you can pull up a Bible and keep it open there as we work through 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to read together. We're going to read uh, verses 7 to 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 beginning at verse number 7. The word of God, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. May God bless again the reading of his word. So our text begins with this great juxtaposition, you know, something of tremendous value being placed or carried about in a, in a clay pot. Uh, I, I remember, we've been here just over a month, I remember moving in day, and, um, you know, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the truck came and, and just came in and, and put boxes everywhere in, in, our, in our home. And uh, by many of your good graces, uh, there, were, there were some frozen meals uh, stored away in, in the freezer, which came in quite handy. And so on that first 
night, after all day, you know, trying to just work through boxes, and, 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 and we, we come, so we, Angela throws one of these uh, dinners in the oven, uh, but the problem was, what are we going to eat it with? <laughs> and, and I think, I think there may have been a, a package of, of paper uh, plates left there, but cutlery, we couldn't find it. And so, and here we are now, you know what it's like, you know, you're frustrated and all day and, and, and you're, you have this kitchen and there's boxes piled up and, and, you know, things are not labeled all that well. And so we start ripping open boxes, trying to find cutlery. Do you think we could find cutlery? No, we couldn't find cutlery. Wasn't one of my most shinier moments. <laughs> Couldn't find cutlery. And so finally I say, oh, I'm just going I'm, I'm to run and find a store. At this point, we had been here a day. I didn't know where a store was. And Angela says, no, 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 I'll look in this box. And we, no, anyway, ends up we're going trying to find cutlery, and I just punch into Google and say, find me a store. And it brought me to, it brought me to Farm Boy. They didn't have cutlery. Anyone here work for Farm Boy? Can you please ask them to get some cutlery? <laughs> anyway, there happened to be a shopper's drug mart just us. Anyway, long story short, we did find cutlery. We came back and, and we ate, you know, as, as we could, maybe using boxes for, for a dining room table. I say all that to say that in that moment, we wanted something that was disposable. Disposable cutlery, disposable plates, something that we could use and, and throw away. We, we might say that clay jars that is used here in our text were the throwaway containers of the ancient world. They were, they were everyday containers, common earthenware. They were found everywhere, used for everyday living, had no real intrinsic value. And because they were also easily broken, they often had a short lifespan. What does Paul say? Paul says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. We, we have something of surpassing worth and value in everyday, ordinary containers. So, the question is, well, what is the treasure? I think, I think the treasure here is the knowledge of the good news of God's saving work. I mean, the treasure is the gospel. If you turn, just go back to verses 5 and 6 here in this same chapter. Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so then Paul says, but we have this treasure. And so the knowledge of the glory of God as seen through Jesus is a treasure. It's, it's precious. The gospel is priceless. It's, a, it's of indescribable worth. I, I'm, I'm reminded of the parable Jesus told of, of the pearl of, of great value. 
In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And as one commentator suggests, you know, the main point here seems to be that the kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. And so having the omnipotent saving reign of Christ in our lives is so valuable that if we lose everything in order to have it, it's a joyful sacrifice. And so Paul says we, we have this treasure The treasure of the knowledge of God through Jesus in everyday, ordinary containers. And here is the great paradox of Paul's contrasting images is that the treasure of God's transforming gospel has been committed to fragile followers of Jesus Christ like you and I. And why is that? Well, look at verse 7. Paul says in verse 7, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's a needed reminder for us today. Now think, think, think about the image. We carry the precious message of the gospel around in the plain clay pots of our ordinary lives. The mundane, the brokenness, our sin, our frailty, and our, in, our, in the midst of our proneness to wonder, the, we carry around this, this precious message. And, and the kingdom of God is truly this upside-down kingdom. We're drawn into, into the, the counterintuitive nature of God's kingdom. And I think the main takeaway here is that the treasure of the gospel is committed to fragile people like us in order to keep the focus where it should be. And that's on the message. On the message and on the author of this message. We, we have a glorious God and we have a glorious gospel and God has committed that to us in our frailty and our weakness so that the focus remains where it should be and that's on the message itself. I mean, what a, what a pronouncement of power in the context of human weakness. But, but let's make sure we get the equation right because we tend to think that my weakness plus God's power equals my power. But instead, God's equation works like this, that as we embrace our weakness, God fills us with his power. And so God's power is manifested through us. And so we, re- we remain weak. We grow in weakness. We grow in humility and reliance upon God. But as we grow and embrace weakness, God's power in us becomes greater. Uh, Commentator Kent Hughes, I'm assuming we're having technical difficulties, are we, uh, this morning? Nevertheless, you'll have to listen closely. 
Commentator Kent Hughes says that Christians are never powerful in themselves, but, only, but are only vessels in which God's power is exhibited. And so Paul is speaking primarily of himself. But the truth he teaches is true of every follower of Christ, that our utter frailty and weakness provide the ground for God's power. There you have it. I should have mentioned that before earlier, right? We would have had slides. And so our utter frailty and weakness provide the ground for God's power. And so the question is, are we embracing the, this, this weakness as a way of life? And how might we do that? Well, let's, let's move on to the text. So Paul is teaching us that weakness, weakness invites God's strength. And so we have these verses here in verses 8 to 12. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, maybe there are those here who can relate to how Paul describes human weakness here. And what does Paul do? He provides this picture of ascending intensity of weakness. He says that we're afflicted and we're bewildered and we're pursued and we're, we're knocked down. We're, we're battered by troubles. We're spiritually terrorized. We're thrown down. We're, there's this constant dripping of pressure that often describes life, doesn't it? But the good news is that it's in this context that we experience God's power. And so the ascending intensity of human weakness is countered with God's power and strength. And so we are, as someone described, we're, we're squeezed and bewildered and pursued and, and we're knocked down. I mean, what, what abject weakness but it's in that context that we have and experience God's surpassing power so that in that weakness we are not squashed and we're not befuddled and we're not abandoned and we're not knocked out. And so what astonishing power. That God's power, our weakness provides the ground for God's power. You know, it's been pointed out that Paul is um, writing this from the benefit of hindsight. And if you turn back to chapter 1 for a moment in 2 Corinthians, turn back to chapter 1, and especially down in verses 8 to 11, you'll note that Paul is writing about a very deep affliction. And we don't know exactly 
what's happening here, but what we do know is that something so profoundly crushing happened for Paul that he says that they, he, he despaired uh, of life itself. And that he, he, something so profound happened that he felt like he had the sentence of death. There, there was this, he felt utterly burdened. But again, what, what, what did the, that experience do for him? In verse 9 it says, well, it made us rely not on ourselves, but on God. And so Paul again is reflecting upon this, this, this moment of, of weakness and how this invited God's power to be demonstrated in his life. And so let's, let's be real. Let's be real with God and with each other. You know, being thankful in tough times is not some pie-in-the-sky fantasy world. It's not a, a hyper-faith response where you just don't want to admit that times are tough right now. Paul is showing us that even though we have the sure and certain promise of God's power in our weakness, that it does not negate the fact that there are moments and seasons when we do feel like we're being crushed. That, that there are times in our lives, and no doubt there are people here, you've walked through them. Some of you may be walking through them right now. There are seasons when you feel like you are being crushed. I mean, Paul is writing about the certainty of God's power and, and his presence, but yet he reflects upon this time, this moment, when he felt utter despair. And so the promise of, of God's power and weakness does not negate the fact that there are moments in our lives when right in that middle of that storm, as it were, you feel crushed. You, you feel that burden. And so it's from the benefit of hindsight that Paul now proclaims God's surpassing power in our deepest moments of weakness. And from the benefit of hindsight, Paul now proclaims, yeah, we're, we're squeezed but not squashed. We're bewildered, but not befuddled. We're pursued, but not abandoned. We're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Because as we embrace our weakness, God's strength and power becomes greater. And so that brings us to verses 13 and 15. And, and so Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith, According to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So what, what, what Paul does here is he, he reaches back and draws upon a brief line from, from the psalmist. From Psalm 116, in fact. And that brief line that he mentions here in our text is the line, I believed and so I spoke. And so that line then brings the reader back into this ancient psalm, back in, in Psalm, psalm 116. And what Paul does here is, he is he's identifying with the author of this psalm. And if, if you look at Psalm 16, and we won't take the time to actually read it, 
But the psalmist, again, is talking about the snares of death encompassing me. He says, I suffered distress and anguish. And again, he's, he's talking about this dark season in his life where he, he felt this weakness. But what does the psalmist do? Well, the psalmist says, I believed even when I spoke that I'm greatly afflicted. And so Paul mentions this line in his writing. And so Paul locates his experience with that of the ancient psalmist who despite being dragged down into, into despair, Paul says, I kept my faith even as I was afflicted. And so God came to the psalmist rescue down in the depths, Israel's God came to his rescue, and this God, who Paul now knew as the father of Jesus, is demonstrating his power in Paul's life, enabling Paul to proclaim during his personal weakness, Paul says, look, I kept my faith despite my afflictions, and I kept pressing on. So, we have this we have this precious gospel and this gospel is committed to fragile followers of Jesus and through our weakness, God's power is displayed enabling us to keep living and serving and proclaiming the gospel despite our heavy burdens but to what end? So what is the point? And we come to verse 15 where Paul then says, this is all for your sake so that grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And so this is the point here, that God's surpassing power at work in our weakness so that there might be more grace, more people, more thanksgiving, more people offering praise and thanksgiving to God. You know, reflecting upon this verse especially and this, this gratefulness that, that Paul is expressing, I, I appreciated some of the writings of author and pastor John Piper on gratitude. And gratitude is, is more than saying thank you when someone gives you something. Gratitude is more than an action that we decide to do by willpower. You see, we, you can say thank you when there is little or no gratitude in your heart. But what it takes to turn a simple thank you into genuine, heartfelt gratitude is the real, genuine feeling of gratitude. Because gratitude is uncoerced. It's, it's, it can't be willed. Gratitude is something that is in you. It's something you feel. It's something that wells up deep within your inner person. For example, it's like giving a 10-year-old a pair of socks for Christmas. He might say thank you, but the feeling of gratitude is probably, probably not there. But if we take this illustration further, gratitude is more than delighting in a gift. Gratitude is more than feeling happy because you get something you want. Because that 10-year-old kid may rip open a brand new iPhone 11 Pro. Someone said, woo. 
I hope it wasn't Sarah. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. That, that same kid may open up that iPhone 11 Pro and then walk away and start bragging about how much better his gift is than his friends or brothers and sisters. And so the boy may delight in the gift, but is still ungrateful. Because the child bears his delight in the gift, but not in the giver of the gift. And so gratitude is a feeling of happiness that is directed toward a person for giving you something good. Gratitude rises not from the mere gift, but from the act of giving. And so gratitude is a happy feeling you have about a giver because of his giving something good. Let's move into another qualification. We, we generally don't see employees write a thank you note to their employers on payday. Now, I don't know what you do here in Hamilton, but that generally doesn't happen back home. I, I've never been in the habit on payday of writing a thank you note to my employer. Why? Because the reason for this is that the emotion of gratitude generally rises in direct proportion to how undeserved a gift is. So let's face it. Most of us, most of us feel we work hard for the pay we receive, and so we don't feel genuine gratitude on payday. When our work and our pay is proportionate, we don't feel pay as an undeserved kindness, but as our due. And so we don't feel our employer has done us any favors. We've just traded favors. On this Thanksgiving weekend, I, I want us to understand that gratitude flourishes in the arena of grace and from the soil of our weakness. And that in this text, gratitude is a response to grace. Gratitude, thankfulness, is a response to the undeserved kindness and mercy of God. And what gave Paul a deep sense of gratitude was that God's power flourished amid his human weakness as he felt crushed and perplexed by life. As more and more people experienced the amazing, marvelous, matchless radical grace of God. And genuine, heartfelt gratitude flourishes in the arena of grace. As we remind ourselves that Jesus is gracious and his riches are free, his power becomes greater in our weakness. Gratitude wells up in the hearts of those who receive the abundance of grace and who live with a daily awareness of the gift of God's grace and who rejoice as more and more people come to experience God's grace. This gratitude to Christ is more than, than saying thank you or trying to return some service. It's more than, than being glad that you're free from condemnation. Grace-inspired gratitude is offering praise toward Jesus for the riches of salvation and the way he made it ours. And when the grace of Jesus 
penetrates our hearts, it rebounds back to God in gratitude. Christian gratitude is grace reflected to God in the sheer happiness we feel toward Jesus. And what Paul aimed was to make his readers thankful, to produce gratitude to Jesus in their hearts. And Paul's spiritual math went like this, that the more people who come to Christ, the more people there are to glorify God, the more gratitude we express all for the greater glory of God. And all of this happens as we embrace our utter frailty and weakness to remind and display us and to everyone that this is not by our power or by our ingenuity, but this is all about God. God has committed this treasure, the gift of the gospel, to a whole bunch of frail, broken people like you and me. He's entrusted us the most precious thing, the gospel, that in the midst of our weakness, in seasons of our lives when we feel crushed and we feel abandoned and when we feel lost and when we feel perplexed, that as we press into that weakness and as, that we, as we embrace that weakness and, and, and just turn our souls to God, God's power in us becomes stronger so that we are able to keep on going, keep living, keep serving, keep doing what we're doing so that more grace extends to more people, which leads to more thanksgiving, which leads to our God being glorified by a whole bunch more people. That's what Paul is saying. And it's all because of God's work. I, mean, I was reflecting upon this in, in my office earlier this morning and just you know, praying about this morning and just, just reflecting upon my notes and the message. And, I, and just, of course, I've been reflecting upon this, this weakness all week. And I was just thinking to myself that God has entrusted me this morning to come and share the riches of the gospel in spite of my weaknesses. And, and, and then I, I was just reminded of just how weak and frail and sinful I am. I, I don't want you to know how sinful I am. I, I, I don't want you to know how broken and, and weak I am, but, but I, I'm sure you feel like that as well. You are, how, how broken and sinful and frail we are in these moments of anxiety as, as, as life just seems to, to press in around us and there are moments when, when we don't know if we can carry on. And Paul says that it's in those moments where, where God's strength just comes and becomes so much greater in our lives. We're still weak. We're still weak. But in ways which we can't explain, God's power comes and strengthens us and encourages us so that we can keep on Keep on sharing and loving and serving and proclaiming the gospel so that there's more grace, more people. 
more thanksgiving. That's what I pray happens here this morning. That in this great company of people, as you have in this moment, you've stepped out of of your week, you've stepped out of whatever it is you've stepped out of for this hour and a half to come and and to sit here and and to worship. And I pray that whatever you've stepped out of, that in this moment now, as you just embrace your weakness and in your weakness, you, you now in your heart turn to God like the psalmist and ask for help, that you sense in this place this renewing strength of God in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, so that this week you can keep on serving. You keep on living. You keep on loving. You keep on doing what God has called you to do. Again, not because you've become strong, but because God's strength has been demonstrated in you. Jesse and Ben, come back. That'll help me quit. We, 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 we won't have time to really um, get into the, these, this last couple of verses, but just to make a very brief comment that you'll note how our scripture text concludes here. Paul concludes by saying in verse 16, I think I need my eyes tested, Verse 16. He says, so. In other words, because of all that I've just said. Because of that, so, what does he say? Verse 16. We do not lose heart. Let's say it together. We do not lose heart. So, we do not lose heart. And and he does two things here. There's a sense earlier in which Paul draws from the past to kind of strengthen his face and drawing from the psalmist, but now he he looks to the future and he says that there is a future day when God is going to make all things new. you, You know, do you have those moments when you look at the world and the brokenness of the world and, 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 the, and the, the profound tragedies of the world, and you just have this yearning, oh, God, come and, come and make all things new. Paul says that's what he does. He, he, he points to this future day when God will make all things new. And so there's this future glory which inspires faithful living. And the glory that awaits us, Paul says, in God's new world far exceeds the weight of our current trouble. Now, don't, don't believe for a second that Paul is making light of your trouble. That's not, the, that's not what he's doing. He's not making light of the weight of your current trouble. What he is saying, though, is that the future glory that awaits you in comparison to the weight of your current affliction cannot be compared. And so... He says that there's coming a day when I'll make all things new. And then he says this, that while we wait, he says, we're being renewed. 
And even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our status in Christ, our new man, is being renewed. By God's grace, you see, we have received a new status. We are drawn in with Christ, and this status is being renewed. As we're drawn into greater depths of what it means to be alive in Christ. And so as we wait for future glory, our new self is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of God. We trust that God by his spirit applies these truths to your heart. And that if you're here this morning and you feel crushed and perplexed that as we've gathered around his word and as we've just sung that great song of thanksgiving and praise that we pray that you will reflect upon the grace of God in your life and sense God's power strengthening you enabling you to express gratitude and thankfulness in spite of your weakness Lord thank you that we can come together gather around your word. Lord, we have a glorious gospel. You're a glorious God. And may may this undeserved grace fuel our living this week. May it fuel thankfulness and thanksgiving this week and gratitude for what you have done. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning who feel crushed feel perplexed. Lord, I commit them to your surpassing power. And I pray that in this moment they will press into that weakness. Turn that weakness and in, into prayers and to you for help and find your strength and your power greater in their lives. We're thankful, Lord. We offer thanksgiving to you. We praise you for all your good things. Dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you, friends. Happy Thanksgiving.